Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 John. The book of 1 John. Remember, 1 John is in the back of your Bible. You start at the book of Revelation. Revelation, Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John. The book of 1 John, and we're going to be in chapter number 5. The book of 1 John in chapter number 5. We're beginning a brand new Sunday school series today dealing with the furtherance of the gospel. And if we want the gospel to be spread out, there are several things that we have to have in place. First of all, we have to have truth, which we're going to begin this little section on truth today. Then we also have to have friendship, that unless we have influence with folks, they have no reason to listen to us, even if we have truth. And then world evangelism, which carries the idea that we are required, ordered, commissioned by God to reach the world and that we should organize our efforts to get the gospel to every creature. So we start in the book of 1 John and we start with a section of truth. The section of truth. And with this, take your copy of the Word of God and look with me to the book of 1 John chapter number 5. The book of 1 John chapter 5. And notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number uh, let's start in verse number 13. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that he heareth us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. If any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. And we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and the wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God has come, and hath given us an understanding, that we may know him that is true, and we in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Amen. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 John chapter number 5? The book of 1 John chapter number 5, and notice with me in verse number 20. The book of 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 20, notice where it describes God, the true God. The true 
God. And with the Lord's help, we want to introduce this series, and may I say, also introduce the messages that we have today, both Sunday morning and Sunday night, with this concept, the true God. Now, something has happened in our world today, is that people are no longer dependent or reliant on truth. We have a time where there's a lot of information, very little truth. In fact, we are bombarded with information. We have so much information, we don't even know how to process it all. It comes through us, we try to filter it, but we have a lot of information, but we have a dearth, uh, uh, absence of truth. And yet the Bible here declares truth. God is truth. He declares other things that are true. But this is such important in our day and age because people, may I say, not only do they not have truth, they don't want truth. Today, people are dependent on how they feel. That their feeling determines what's truth. I feel that this is correct, so therefore it is a truth in my life. But let me tell you, as much as you want to wish or hope, it doesn't make it true. Whatever your imaginations, whatever your feelings are, just because you feel it doesn't make it true. Now, today, this is a hard concept to say because everyone has their own opinion. Everyone has their own version. And yet, this is why our world is in such trouble. We have lost a moral compass. We've lost what is truth. So what is truth? Well, I may tell you, God is truth. God is truth. That's what we have to depend upon. God is truth. So with this, we understand that we have a true God. We know that there are things that the Bible says is true. And we know that we can know truth. The Bible gives instruction that the church itself, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, we don't have to turn there, but giving the reference, the Bible calls the church the pillar and ground of the truth. That God has designed it that not only is there things that are true, but that God also wants to make the truth available. And he has planted the local Bible preaching church as a place where people can go and hear the truth. So a Bible preaching church is a place where people can come in. They may not like the message, but they know they're going to go hear the truth and they could always go and hear the truth. That's what a church is meant to do. A church is not meant to cater to the world because the world is looking for answers. They don't need a cheap imitation of itself. They are looking for truth. Everyone who comes through our doors who is not established, meaning you're not a church member that's determined to be faithful. If we have someone who comes in here for the first time or maybe first time in a long time, you know why they've come in? Because they're looking for something. They're looking for something. They need help. And what they need is they need truth. They need to know who God is. That's what they need most of all, is they need truth. They don't need entertainment. They get that all day on the televisions or wherever they go. They don't need something just to make them feel better, to pat on their head. As Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 5 and Jeremiah chapter 8, that they've healed the hurt of my daughter slightly, saying, there, there. <laughs> were they ashamed when they committed abomination? Nay, they were not ashamed. Neither could they blush. The Bible says that part of what was going on in Jeremiah's day is that people just wanted someone to say, there, there, 
It's all right. You're still doing good. And it made them feel better slightly. But what happened is that they continued to go on the same path and they headed towards destruction, but they felt good about it because a preacher patted them on the head and say, there, there, you're doing good. There are some times that we need to be warned. There are some things that we need to know about truth. Because if God is true, and if his word is truth, then we need to know them and we have to compare everything in life to truth. Now again, this is opposite of what you're going to see on media, social media, and all this other stuff. Because today people are basing truth on what they feel, on what their experience, on how they see things, their opinion, what they think the world senses says, what the latest poll says. But they have very little truth. A lot of information, very little truth. But God wants us to know his truth. In fact, in the gospel record of John chapter 14, it says that Jesus Christ, he is truth. Now, as we look at 1 John, we want to look in this passage and we want to see some things that are true. Now, an amazing thing is that you could see the language that is used in the book of 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. You're going to see two words over and over. You are going to see this idea of truth that you could see even in verse 20. And we've come... And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. We may know that Him that is true. And we are in Him that is true. And in His Son, Jesus Christ. And this is the true God. We know that the idea of truth is emphasized here. But there's another word that is also used here. In fact, it is my favorite Bible word. You didn't even know Pastor had a favorite Bible word. The, my favorite Bible word is the word no. K-N-O-W. The word know used in the Bible means to know with evidence. To know of a fact. It's to have knowledge of something backed up with evidence. So notice, let me just read this passage again. See how many times it uses the word no. Verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know, that means to have with assurance, to have with evidence that you have eternal life, that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he heareth us, Whatsoever we ask, we know that we have petitions that we have desired of him. And if any man see his brother that sin is sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for him that sinneth not unto death. And there is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and the wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole truth lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we in him that is true. True, even his son, Jesus Christ, there is a true God and eternal life. Now in this passage, again, it's placing emphasis 
on a true God. And because of our God being true, there is knowledge that we can have that has evidence that supports us that we can know as a fact, not as an opinion. We can know as a fact based off of evidence, backed by evidence, that these are things are true. This is based off of our knowledge of a true God. This is not an imaginary God. It's not a pretend God. It's not a choose your own God that you pick whichever one fits better for you. There is a true God and you can know him, know of him, and know what he desires. There is an idea that there is one true and living God and there is none else. Are you adherent to truth? Is truth something you desire? Well, then if you desire truth, let me tell you some good news. You can know truth. So let's look at the book of 1 John chapter 5. Knowing that God is true, let's see some of the things that the true God has given to us or wants us to know based off of him being a fact, being a reality, knowing that there is one true God. The first thing I want to bring to your attention from the book of 1 John is that the true God gives us assurance that we have eternal life in him. That the true God gives assurance that we have eternal life in him. Notice with me in verse 13. These things have I written unto you. Now think about this. He is saying he is giving us the word of God. Specifically the book of 1 John chapter or the book of 1 John, but in general these things the Bible has been written to us, has been given to us that we may know. <coughs> uh, sorry. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that you have eternal life. God says, I've written these things down. Because God is true, he is giving us a true word. We can trust God's word. We can depend upon God's word. Because he is a true God, he cannot lie. Because he is a true God and is able to give us truth, he is giving us truth through his word. And he has given us his word, first of all, that we may know that you have eternal life. Now, once again, that word know means to have evidence of, to have knowledge of based off of evidence. God does not want you to hope or think or guess that you have eternal life. This is why we ask the question as a very definite statement. Are you 100% sure if something was to happen to you? Not 50%, not 75%, not 99%. Are you 100% sure based off of the Bible that you know that your sins are forgiven, that you're going to heaven? And when we ask that, we are expecting a yes or no answer. Yes, I am 100% sure. Ding, ding, ding. Or no, I am not 100% sure. And the reason we ask that with such a clear uh, definition is because we can know. God doesn't want you to be 50%, 75%, or 99%. He wants you to know with a surety based off of evidence, knowing that God is true and his word is true. That you may know that you have eternal life. You know, that's a wonderful thing. Now, someone may say, well, how do I know? Is it because I said a prayer? Well, let me tell you that a prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. 
Our trust is not in a prayer. It's in a person of Jesus Christ. But let's say that I said a prayer. There was a time that I accepted Jesus as my Savior. That's great. Well, the moment that happens, the Bible says a special event happened. You became born again. And just as real as your first birth was, your second birth is just as real. For example, we have a teenager in here, Mr. Josh. Mr. Josh, if you went to your mom and said, Mom, was I born? She would laugh at you. Say, of course I you were. But mom, how do you know I was born? She goes, I was there. And she could give a time and a place, uh, the event that happened around his birth. But if he goes up to her and says, but mom, how do you know I'm alive right now? Well, is there any evidence that he's alive right now? Well, absolutely. She could pinch him. She, he could fog a mirror. There's evidence that he's alive right now. Right, Josh? Good. So there's evidence. He nodded his head. There was a movement. He's just not a skeleton that's there as a placeholder. There's evidence he's alive. Well, just as true as being born the first time, there is evidence that you are spiritually born again. And the book of 1 John lists several of these evidences throughout the book of 1 John as proof, evidence that we are truly born again. And if I am born again, I have confidence, evidence that I know that I'm going to heaven if there's evidence in my life. So what are these birthmarks of the believer? The lesson is not the birthmark of the believer, but I want to run through them really quick because I want to give you uh, a confidence that you can know without a doubt. What are the birthmarks? Well, the first birthmark is the birthmark of obedience. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in the book of 1 John chapter number 2. The book of 1 John chapter number 2. 1 John chapter 2, notice with me in verses 3 and 4. And hereby we know, there's that word know again. And hereby, <coughs> 1 John chapter 2 verse number 3. And hereby we do know that we know him. Why? If we keep his commandments. He that saith I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whosoever keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Now, in this passage here, you'll notice that I place the emphasis on the ETHs of some of these words. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth. The reason why they have this inside of the authorized version is to try to put across truth. Now, in the English language, we have what is called three tenses. What's our three tenses in our English language? Past, present, and future. However, in other languages, including Greek, they have a lot more tenses. And there's a tense in Greek that carries the idea of continual action. So it's not point in time action, it is continual action. So in order to get across that same idea, the uh, people in Old English developed a literary style. No, no one in in. English language ever spoketh like this. Uh, Shakespeare put it in plays and some people copied it, but no one spoke like this. I loveth you at all times, I saith. Th those, uh, that's a literary thing, not a normal speaking type thing. But it is a literary thing to show continual action. So notice this. This is important because it affects doctrine. All right. 
Verse number uh, four, he that saith, so someone that continually says, I know him and keepeth. So someone who says, I know him, but does not in the habit, does not continually keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But so whosoever keepeth or is in the habit continually keeps his word, in him is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Now notice this affects doctrine. If it's a point action in time, meaning that it wasn't continual action, someone could take this passage and teach that, listen, anytime that you, that you sin, you are not saved. So you could get saved, lose your salvation, lose it again. That's not what it's teaching here. It uses the continual action. And it says for a believer that if you truly have the Holy Spirit living within you, there's something inside of you that has the desire to be obedient to God's word. And that the overall desire in your life is that you want to be obedient to God's word. That means there are times that we mess up, but the continual habit of your life, the heart of it, is that you have a desire to be obedient to God. Does that make sense? This is an evidence. If you are truly born again, even if you are backslidden, even if you are sideways, as long as you're born again, you have a desire to be obedient. Doesn't mean you're always obedient, but you have that desire to be obedient. So if I come up to someone who says, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I say, well, the Bible says this. He says, I don't care what the Bible says. Is that matching up with the, what the Bible says here? No. Normally, if someone is saved, but they're backslidden, I show them what the Bible says. They hang their head and say, you know what? I know I need to do better. That's an evidence. Does it make sense? It doesn't mean that we're always doing, but it has, there's something inside of us because of the Holy Spirit that has the desire to be obedient to God's word. So the first birthmark is the birthmark of obedience. Next of all is the birthmark of love. Let me just summarize. 1 John chapter 3 verse 14 has the idea that you will have a natural love for other Christians. So think about this. If the Holy Spirit lives within me and the Holy Spirit lives within someone else, the Holy Spirit is not going to hate itself. The Holy Spirit's going to love other Christians. There's a natural love for other Christians. That's why Christians enjoy a fellowshipping and joining together. Because the Holy Spirit likes to fellowship with himself. That's an evidence that we have. Again, my purpose is not for the birthmarks of the believer. So I'm trying to summarize just really quick. Next one is the birthmark of truth. The Bible gives us the Holy Spirit inside of us. That gives us the spirit of truth or the spirit of error. That the Holy Spirit inside of us can do something that you hear... Some religious speaker, maybe you're watching TBN or Trinity and you accidentally switch it to the channel and listen just for a second. And something in your heart says, there's something not quite right about that. You can't name a chapter or verse, but there's just something in you that says, and there's something off about that. Well, that's the Holy Spirit can say, yes, that's not true. That's not right. At the same time, the Holy Spirit can back up truth. So if I, as the pastor of opening up the word of God and I'm declaring the Bible true, the Holy Spirit that's inside of you is backing up, witnessing that message and saying, that's right. What he's saying is true. That's part of what the Holy Spirit does. It tells us that's true. That's true. Or that's not. That's right. We have the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The Holy Spirit can guide us in all truth. With that, we have a fourth birthmark, the birthmark of the Holy Spirit. By the way, this is the best evidence to me that I'm saved. 
Because the very first thing that the Holy Spirit's job is to do is to convict us of sins. So how does this work? As a believer, if I mess up, if I sin, the Holy Spirit immediately says, you messed up. You did wrong. He takes us outside the woodshed. Now, going outside and getting chastised outside the woodshed, that's what we say in the South, is take him outside the woodshed. That's never fun. But you know what that's evidence of? I have a daddy who loves me. And he cares for me. The Bible goes on in the book of Hebrews. Talks about that we're not supposed to despise the chastening of God. Because if you are God's children. He will chasten you. He will let you know that you did wrong for the purpose of changing behavior. Someone who is never convicted of sins. They can look at me and lie to my face. And God doesn't provoke them. Doesn't prick them. That is evidence that there's something bad wrong. Does that make sense? Every Christian, you say, but I have a conscience. Yes, but your conscience can be seared. It can be directed. It's a good evidence that there is a God, but it is different than conviction. They're very, very similar, but they are different. And so someone could look at me, lie to my face, and God never takes them outside of the woodshed. There's something bad wrong. Does it make sense? That's an evidence that I'm saved. To me, it's one of the greatest evidence. Because I'm not perfect and I get taken outside the woodshed quite often. It reminds me I have a loving father. I'm part of his family. Praise the Lord for that. That he cares enough that he disciplines. That he chastens me. And then the last birthmark. Which is back in 1 John chapter number 5. Notice in 1 John chapter number uh, 5. It talks about the witness within. That you have the witness of the Holy Spirit within. And it says this in 1 John chapter 5 verse 12. He that hath the Son... Hath life. And he that hath not the son of God. Hath not life. Some people said I don't know about all the Bible stuff. I've been trained. But the one thing I know is that Jesus lives here. That's all you need. As long as you know that you have Jesus. You are saved. That makes it quite simple doesn't it. He that hath the son. Hath life. And he that hath not the son of God. Hath not life. I have the witness within. That I'm saved. Now. God, the true God, gives us assurance that we have eternal life. God wants us to know that we know that we know that we have eternal life. By the way, some people say, well, you can't know. Well, if I have a true God with a true word, I can know. But because we live in an absence of truth in our world, so many people believe that lie that you can't know for sure. And they're missing out. But if there is a true God in heaven and he wants us to know for sure, we can know for sure. That's one of the privileges of having a true God. Notice something else that we see in the book of 1 John chapter 5. Not only does a true God give us assurance that we have eternal life in him. But a true God hears and answers prayer. A true God hears and answers prayer. Notice with me in verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. What a confidence that we have. That if God is real, and a God who's able to answer prayers, 
I could talk to him knowing he's real. You know why sometimes people have time, hard time praying? Because first of all, they're not settled that God is real. And they're not settled that God can answer prayers. But what a confidence it is we could go boldly to the throne room of grace and ask for help in the time of need. We could go to him and know that my father heareth us, knowing that he can and answer prayers. This is the confidence we have in him because he is the true God. We can have confidence in him that if we ask anything according to his will. Do you know that there are certain things that we can know for sure that it's God's will? For example, God is not willing that any shall perish, but all shall come to repentance. You know, if I'm praying for someone to get saved, I don't have to be pray wimpy. God, if, if you want to, if you can get around to it, maybe if you desire, could you uh, maybe get them saved? I don't have to pray wimpy. I know that he already has a desire for them to come to know Christ. So I could pray with confidence, God, do whatever it takes to bring him to yourself. And I could go boldly and pray strong, not wimpy, because I know it's according to his will. What if we have a church folk that hasn't been in church for a while? Can I, is it God's will for people to be faithful to a local church? Absolutely. So can I pray with confidence? God, you love them more than I do. God, you do whatever it takes to bring them into church. Could I pray? Do I have to pray wimpy and say, God, if you get around to it, maybe if you want, it would be really nice. I don't have to pray wimpy. I can have confidence. Doesn't God want them in church more than me? Yes. So I'm just getting in on what God is already wanting to do. That's part of praying in God's will. Having a confidence, this is what he wants. Does he want more people saved? Yes. Does he want more people in church? Yes. Does he want more people reading the Bible? Yes. There's certain things that we know already is God's will. We can pray with confidence on it. What a wonderful thing that I can do that because my God is true. My God is real. He hears and answers prayer. Again, we could spend a whole time on that, but let's move on. So because we have a true God, there are certain things that our true God wants us to know. Our true God gives us assurance that we have eternal life in him. Our true God hears and answers prayer. Notice this. Our true God warns us concerning the seriousness of sin. Our God warns us <laughs> concerning the seriousness of sin. Notice with me in verse 16. Now in verse 16, you're going to see some declarative statements. You said, I didn't know we were in English class. We've done English stuff all day. What is a declarative statement? All right. Something that states a fact. Very good. Something that states a fact. So notice there are some declarative statements here. If any man see his brother sin, a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. Here's a declarative statement. There is a sin unto death. That is a declarative statement. That's not leaving any leeway. It is a statement of fact. There is a sin unto death. It goes on. I do not say that he shall pray for it. Now this is important. There's a sin unto death. There's a sin that someone could commit. That God says you know what I'm done with you. What is that sin? Wouldn't you like to know? 
I'm, I'm, it's kind of sounds serious. If there's a sin unto death, wouldn't you want to know what it is? Well, let me tell you. It's any sin that God convicts you that you refuse to get right with God about. Any sin that God convicts you on that you refuse to get right with. That means it could be your pet sin. It's not the same sin for everyone. Because we're all individuals. We all have things that we have a hard time letting go on. We like sin. Otherwise, we wouldn't sin. We do like sin. And God works on someone and someone says, I don't care what God says. I'm not getting rid of that sin. Well, then you're in danger. The Bible here says that there is a seriousness of sin. Notice with me in verse 16 again. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. All right. So here it's saying, if you see someone that messed up because you love them, you want to say, hey, you may not have realized this, but you accidentally did this or you did this. You know, God's not pleased with that. Can I help you with that? To be able to work with someone, to be able to point them out. Why is this important? This, listen to me clearly. We all have assets and liabilities. In order to be profitable in life, your assets need to outweigh your liabilities. But with that, we all have blind spots. Things that we can't see in ourselves, but others see very, very clearly. Does that make sense? This is why that there's a, Jesus spoke a parable talking about the guy who wanted to get the speck out of someone else's eye, but had a beam in his eye. Everyone could see that beam but it was a blind spot in that guy's life. He couldn't see that he had a beam in his eye. The Bible here is doing an evaluation of ourselves. This is why you have people, a safety and a multitude of counselors. People that, that love you enough that will tell you the truth. Because we all, including me, have things that I can't see in myself, but others can see clearly. And because they love me, they will pull me aside and say, you know what? You may not see this, but this is something that's going on in your life. And they're helping me with it. Does that make sense? Now, I could respond uh, horribly. You could always tell a lot from a person by how they accept rebuke. You could tell a lot by a person by how they accept rebuke. Always be rebukable. Always allow people to help you out. Because then God can use them to point things out in your life to help get rid of those things. Let me give an example. Let's say that you have someone who has a poor work ethic. Maybe just say it Bible way. They're lazy. That's a Bible word. They're lazy. Now, do you think lazy people think they're lazy? No. In fact, a lot of the most lazy people I know brag about how hard workers they are. They work harder getting out of work than actually doing the work. I mean, they, they fight to do everything so they could go lounge around. But they don't think they're lazy. But everyone else could see very clearly in them. Does that make sense? We all know someone like that. We all have things in our life that we can't see in ourselves because we're blinded on. If you have godly counselors in your life, people that love you, they can help point those things out to help you. But you have to allow them. Does it make sense? This is where it steps into the fool. Um, oh, what was that quote I was saying this morning from Winston Churchill? Oh, 
It was a great quote that says, it was saying something that um, don't tell of a fool of um, how to do things right because he'll beat you with experience. You know, he beat you down with it with experience or something. He'll give you all the reasons why he's right. You have to be careful with rebuking a fool. That's in the book of Proverbs and stuff. But if you be rebukable. Now, why, why did I go through that little side thing? Why is that such important? Notice this. There is a sin unto death. And I do not say that he shall pray for it. So you have someone that God has put people in their life to say, You're, you need to fix this. You need to correct this. You need to watch this. I don't care what you say. Leave me alone. Why are you always nagging at me? Just leave me alone. Do people do that? Do you sometimes do that? Even if it's foiled up in here? We have to be careful with that because God can finally say, listen, if you're not going to obey, I'm just going to take you out. Someone illustrated it this way, that a family once had an unruly child. And every time that they had guests, that child just threw a fit and broke stuff and embarrassed the family in front of company. And so finally, the family had enough and said, listen, you cannot be in the same room when we have company because you continue to embarrass us. We have to take you out and put you in a different room. That's exactly what God does. That if you're at the place where you continue to bring shame upon God and you continue to have your own way and other people know about it, God says, I'm tired of you embarrassing me and bringing a bad name. I'm putting you in a different room. I can't have you in public in front of others. Does that make sense? There is a sin unto death. So is it a mean thing for God to take someone out? No. And it's because of his name and because of his glory and not to push people away from God, he takes them out. This is why there's a sin unto death. By the way, the Bible speaks about this sin unto death quite a bit. It talks about it in the book of 1 Corinthians um, chapter 5, verse 3, I believe. I'm quoting things off the top of my head where it deals with the idea that there was a sin... Uh, <laughs> that Paul was praying for someone to sin unto death. He was, uh, the destruction of the flesh was to Satan for the saving of the soul. Meaning that God says, all right, Satan, I'm given a death warrant, dead or alive, take them out. They're still going to heaven, but he allows Satan to take them out. This is scary stuff, isn't it? Why? Why can we say it such declarative statements as warnings? Because there is a true God. There is a true God who's a loving God who hates sin. He hates sin. And the Bible says you need to warn from it. Stay right with God. Have wise counselors that will correct you and that you'll listen to because they're trying to help you. There is a sin unto death. There's a seriousness of sin. One more thing, if you don't mind. A true God protects those who are his children. A true God protects those who are his children. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 18. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Notice the ETHs again. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and the wicked one toucheth him not. Oh, aren't you glad that Satan does not have access to us if we are saved? You cannot be possessed by Satan or a devil. God limits Satan's interaction with you as a believer. Isn't that a blessing? That God protects us. He guards us. He keeps us from the wicked one that the wicked one touches us not. Oh, what a privilege it is to be part of God's children. The whole world lies in wickedness. But God is a good God. 
a true God who promised to protect you. We're not left here as little orphan children left here to defend ourselves. We have a heavenly father who's very much involved and he cares for us. We've been placed in the Lord and placed in a place of safety and security. This is why we need to keep the true God in his rightful place. Verse 19, and we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. That's a true statement. We're of God, but the whole world lieth in wickedness. But we don't have to fret. We don't have to pull out our hair. We don't have to moan. Oh, look how horrible it is. The Bible says that it's wicked. By the way, what's the job description of the wicked? They're supposed to be wicked. They're doing their job. Our job is to stick to God. He can watch over us. He can protect us. He will guide us. Keep God in your rightful place. Verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding. Why? That we may know him. That is true. And we are in him. That is true. Even in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. We have a true God. So if we're going to start by talking about truth, we have to start by talking about God. And when God is a true God, there are many things that branch off that true God. If we want the world to know truth, the thing that we want them to know, first of all, is God. Because when you know God, you know truth. And there is a declarative truth. There is an unchangeable truth. No matter how the world wants to change things, want to base their idea of truth off opinion, off of uh, feelings, we could go past that and say, here is a true God. He has given us his word. We can trust that. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.